0: My name is Mitch Michaels, and this is the Money Mitch Effect. Thank you again for listening. Another great show for you this week. Kent Brown up first to talk about college football, some upsets in the first two weeks of the season. We talk about our favorite betting lines. And we talk about the untimely passing of Norm McDonald, 61 years old, our favorite, one of our favorite comics for sure. Uh, a guy that we think might have been the funniest person there was. Uh, Kent and I break down as huge fans of his and comedy, The Life in times, and just tell some Norm McDonald stories. A little different, but you're not going to want to miss that. And then Chris Miller comes on the show to talk about the NFL Week 1 opener, uh, a dramatic win for his Raiders on Monday Night Football. My Browns stumbled uh, in a dramatic fashion. They did a great job against the Chiefs, but we break down all the games of Week 1, look ahead to Week 2, throw in some picks as well. It's Kent Brown and Chris Miller on the Money Mitch Effect. Let's start the show. All right, now on the Money Mitch effect, good friend of the show. Well, maybe not good friend, friend of the show, Kent Brown here on the line. Kent, college football season's here. Uh, Somber news of the day with Norm McDonald passing, but uh, thanks for coming on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's good that we'll get to talk a little bit about Norm tonight. And then, of course, college football's back. It's been a fun first couple weeks. Maybe not as fun for Florida State fans or for USC fans, although now USC actually gets the maybe – get a competent coach coming here to Southern California if they don't screw up another search
0: yeah um, when you said although I was like I thought you were going to be like although what if you got married on the field what if you got engaged right after <laughs> your team <laughs> blew it to Jacksonville uh, which is lovely that that happened um, Florida State man they build on that close loss to Notre Dame by another close loss to uh, Jacksonville that was just phenomenal and, and the way they lost too I mean the play itself was just just downright comical. But that's kind of been how it's been looking for Florida State Can I mean Norvell's turned it around a little bit, but this is just another clunker in front of the home faithful. Two walk-off
1: losses in back-to-back days or back-to-back games, two in six days. You had the one against Notre Dame, where at least the team could leave saying there is some optimism. We ran the ball well. We competed with the top ten team who went to the playoff two of the last three years. There were reasons to believe a little bit more. But when you lose to Jacksonville State and it's a Duke cast off who couldn't even be in their rotation that catches the game winner against a Clemson cast off who was the quarterback who also wasn't in the rotation there. Now you're losing to teams where guys couldn't even see the field on ACC squads and they're beating you. And as you mentioned, Mitch, the Hail Mary was not even really a Hail Mary. It was just like a 40 (laughs) yard pass that resulted in a guy running for the last 20 yards. And uh, yeah, that's an embarrassing loss because I do think Norvell is a better coach than what Willie Taggart was. Taggart was a disaster from day one. I do think Norvell will get things to be in pretty good shape there, but it's seemingly it's not there yet. And the Notre Dame game might have been more of just they got a little bit fortunate, in my opinion, to stay close in that game. And this week, all the bad signs showed up again. And when you only score 14 points or 17 points or whatever the final was, you didn't even get 20 that's really bad against a team like Jacksonville state, whether it's Mackenzie Milton or Jordan Travis out there, you should be able to get 30 plus points against an FCF team.
0: I agree with that. I, I wanted to mention though, I didn't want to spend, you know, 20 minutes talking Florida state because frankly who does, uh, but they also are looking at that Notre Dame game, you know, maybe a little differently. A lot of lightning in a bottle happened there with uh, Notre Dame, just essentially taking their foot off the uh, gas up 18 in the fourth quarter and Kent, as a, as, a, as a Notre Dame supporter, a Notre Dame guy, I mean, where are you confidence-wise in this team? 2-0, and that's the good news. The bad news is it was another close win, a narrow win over a MAC team this week in Toledo. We know it's Purdue coming up at home, and then after that, it's five, five straight ranked games. I mean, USC's not ranked, so four out of five. But the schedule definitely gets a lot harder, so I'm wondering, what are you at confidence-wise?
1: I'm less confident now than I was a week ago just because of the injuries on the offensive line. I thought going into this year, I didn't think Notre Dame would be a 10 or 11 win type of team. I thought they would win eight or nine games. Mm -hmm. i probably lean towards nine just because optimistically they don't lose at home and they don't lose to unranked teams. And if you can keep that going, you can win 10 plus games every year. Notre Dame has not done that in four years. So to their credit, They have not lost a home game in over four years. They have not lost to an unranked team in over four years. But last week was a challenge against what I think is a good math school, but not a team that should compete for four quarters in South Bend. I thought it would be close for a half, and I know that they're a good team. But Notre Dame right now, the offensive line, which has been what carries this team year in and year out, has struggled. They're new starters across the board except for the center. And then you have it where the f- true freshman left tackle gets hurt in the first week against Florida State, the redshirt freshman left tackle who replaces him gets hurt in the first half against Toledo, yeah. and then the third string left tackle, who's a redshirt sophomore, is now starting. And again, this isn't like he's a young guy. He was the oldest guy of those three and got beat out by two younger guys. So ultimately, the offensive line has to get better if Notre Dame's going to win. Ten games. My guess is the offensive line will get slightly better, but it won't be anywhere close to what it was the last four or five years. This week's going to be a test because Purdue has one of the best defensive ends in the country in George Karloftis. He's a guy who was a high top 100 recruit a few years ago, will most likely be a day one or day two pick in the NFL draft in the next year or two. And he's going to be lined up against Tosh Baker, that third string left tackle all game. And if Notre Dame can't get it figured out, Jack Cone is going to be a guy who's going to get sacked, Mm. and he's going to be a guy who probably makes a few mistakes. Now, Mitch, to Jack Cone's credit, when it's been a clean pocket, he's been exceptional. He's been very good. And I love what I saw out of the true freshman Tyler Buckner, who comes in from San Diego, had to sit out last year due to COVID, really hadn't seen major football in two years. And he was great as that change of pace running quarterback, Also, threw a touchdown pass. So, I like what I saw. I think they'll keep incorporating him into the offense. But this team will go as far as what the offensive line takes them. And then the other thing is, on the defensive side, Notre Dame the last four seasons only allowed four plays of 60 yards or more total. The first two (laughs) games of this season – The defense has already allowed four plays of 60-plus. So they're an aggressive defense. If you look at their defense, Uh 19 of the 28 drives have either been three and outs or less than 20 yards for the offense, and their havoc rate is amongst the best in the country through two weeks, but they're also allowing the big play, and that's a killer because Toledo really didn't move the ball well the entire game until the final eight minutes, but then they had two big plays, and nearly won the game so notre dame has to get better in that regard i have pretty good faith in the defense that they will solve those issues but the offense right now i've seen enough out of football to know if your offensive line is average to below average it normally doesn't get way better as the season goes on so i kind of think that they're going to have to be creative with how they come up with offense this year because i just don't think the offensive line is as good now the skill position guys are better. Michael Mayer is the best tight end in the country. The receivers are an upgrade from last year. And the running backs are still outstanding. But there's only so many holes that you can run through if the offensive line is getting pushed into the offensive backfield every other play.
0: Yeah, 31 points in their last two fourth quarters, or combined, I should say. So that's going to be, on the defensive side, something to improve. Uh, it, it's going to start this week with Purdue. I'm just looking forward to that Jack Cohen uh, redemption game. For sure. Uh, And I got to give credit. What was the Twitter account? I saw that you retweeted it, which was great. Like, let's just put all these Notre Dame games on obscure streaming sites. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I don't remember who tweeted
1: that, but it would be be a funny way to go about (laughs) things. And Peacock, look, I have it because all the WWE Network's on there now. It makes sense to have it for me. But on the other hand, You can't pause the live stream as of now. And on top of it, some people's feeds, I, for fun, last Thursday night during the Tampa and and the Dallas Cowboy game that started the NFL season, Mm -hmm. I put Peacock on two of my TVs at the same time, one with an Apple TV and one with Roku. Double The game was one minute difference in game time between the two. Not in real time, because one minute in game time is more than real time. So that made (laughs) me worried, like, Peacock has to figure it out. Like YouTube TV is consistently thirty seconds behind real time, almost always, no matter what. You can live with that, but when you have different people streaming from the same platform and they're minutes ahead or behind, yeah, that's bad. that's not good.
0: It was uh, the solid verbal guys that tweeted that out. I want to give credit there, but that was a really funny one. Uh, but no, we'll see. Notre Dame still two and zero undefeated which is uh, more than you can say about my guys. Ohio State really took it on the chin against Oregon in that game at home. Oregon thoroughly deserved to win that game. And uh, I I know that Stroud is going to get criticism. I'm critical of him at times, but he played a a pretty solid game, a really good second half. They just couldn't stop anybody. Oregon's offense wasn't that fancy, wasn't that flashy. Uh, But they they, they went on the road. They deserved to win, and it was, in a lot of accounts, not totally, which we'll get to in a sec, but a great day for the Pac-12. Oregon's looking like they're really shaping up if things, they can continue to hold serve to make that playoff run that the Pac-12 has been desperately seeking out.
1: It surprised me a bunch. I did not see going into this that it would be that competitive, especially once Justin Flo and Kayvon Thibodeau were rolled out. I thought, okay, Ohio State's shaping up Hmm. to kind of do what they do against a lot of good teams at home, and that's blow them out. And yeah, Stroud was, yeah, he missed some passes and he'll have to get more accurate on those deep crossing routes and on the go routes. And I think, you know, it's only a second start. It's a lot to ask of him to step in and instantly be Justin Fields. Justin Fields was a number one or number two national recruit in the country and every service across the board. Stroud was a top 100 guy. He wasn't a top 30 guy or, or you know, certainly was not an elite guy the way Fields was. It might take a little bit of time to me, as you said, it was the defense and the fact that dating back to last year, the past defense was bad all last season for Ohio State. The rush defense, though, was pretty good for the most part. They lost all their linebackers. And now you're seeing whether it was Minnesota week one or whether it's Oregon week two, just dominating them up front, getting easy running lanes. I mean, at one point. Oregon actually had their rush offense go down from nine yards of carry to like eight point something because they only had a five yard touchdown in which it was an untouched player yeah. that has to change. And I think it will. I don't look at this Ohio state team and think they're going to be nine and three all of a sudden. I still feel like they should beat everybody in the big 10, but there is Iowa who plays great defense. Penn state has a, has a really good defense and Ohio state sometimes does play A lackluster game where they trip up against a purdue out of nowhere or they'll lose to a michigan state out of nowhere those are all in play right now but i look at ryan day and i look at his staff and for the most part i think that they're still as of now if you tell me ten and two or better i would take my chances that worst case they only lose one more game but it was a disappointing game if you're an ohio state fan Because it's one thing to lose, but it's another thing to just get beat on the line of scrimmage against a team in Oregon that, frankly, I don't think a lot of us thought had the talent to be able to do that for all 60 minutes.
0: Mario Cristobal gets his big win. Uh, It's back to the drawing board for the Buckeyes. Still a full season to play there. And then the last thing before we look ahead to some games this week, you mentioned at the top, USC finally fires Clay Helton. 70 games is what he coached. And I saw that number and I just couldn't believe it. Like it was ridiculous that he made it that far. But they make the move now and they make it after two games in this season. We were talking and, you know, exchanging the usual jokes when Helton got fired. But, you know, say what you want about the timing. It's interesting. It's new. I know you like the fact that it's early enough to where they can get out in front of it. They have to nail this higher. That goes without saying in a lot of ways. But, if they do, if they are zoning in on some on some people that they really like, this could be good timing and it could be beneficial for getting USC back on track.
1: Yeah, you would think they've already started to get a pretty good feel for at least a few candidates. Now, the problem is if you go a current college route or you go an NFL route, those coaches have obligations for a long time that they're not just going to jump early and leave. Now, if it's playoffs or bowl games, then sure, in that case, a coach might leave. But if you're looking like Luke Fickle, for instance, what if Luke Fickle does make the college football playoff? He's almost obligated then to stay at Cincinnati and not go to USC because he's going to have to coach the team, even though they'll probably lose by 30 to Alabama or somebody like that in the playoff. What you probably want if you're USC is have a guy like Fickle go 11-2, and two, and now he's in – play you have a coach maybe a matt campbell the same way where matt campbell doesn't win the big 12 but he goes 10 and 3 and now he's in play and then of course if they absolutely love chris peterson or bob stoops or somebody that's not currently coaching well now you can actually make the hire earlier if that's who you want and this guy can come in start putting the pieces together i don't think he'd coach the team anytime soon but he could really be there before the season even ends and get to evaluate this team where a lot of coaches come in mid-December, early January, and they're way behind. And then the other part is now with early signing day, it doesn't hurt to have your coach locked up before that. In fact, it definitely helps to have your coach locked up. So there's a lot of possibilities. I don't know. It's too early to tell who 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 you know who it will be. But for USC, it was evident that Clay Helton was not the guy three, four years ago. They had some changes in the athletic department. They had a new school president. They now have a new athletic director. A lot of people that didn't want it to be their first priority to just kick the coach aside. But it's now evident after the Stanford game, this is not a program that's on a national championship level at all. And if you're at USC, that should be your goal to at least be in the mix to go to a playoff. And they've been nowhere close to that mix. They had that one year with Sam Darnold. Where they kind of caught lightning in a bottle, they beat Penn State in the Rose Bowl. But even that season, they lost two or three games. Yeah. They so that and, and look also, Clay Helton, I know he's a good guy. I know by all accounts everyone loves him as a coach or as a person, but he's not the coach of USC. That's not if you look at it, there's no other programs go like here's here's gonna be a good example. Where's Clay Helton going to go now? My guess is he's not going to all of a sudden be LSU's next coach. No, he be that's, the next coach of a power. No. Yeah, he'll, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he'll go to some small school or he'll go to be a coordinator at a big school or something like that. Clay Helton should not have been there this long. And for USC, it hurt their program because they became – and right now they're fairly irrelevant. And then as you said earlier, Mitch, there's that program up in Eugene, Oregon that just had that statement win – and they're stealing all your top kids from Southern well, California. Yeah,
0: that's the first thing that has to happen is just get back to re- dominating the recruiting out in Southern California. Even so, I mean, that Stanford game was the final straw to have a Stanford roster destroy that USC roster, even what it is the way it did. It was just a very lifeless performance. We'll see. Like you said, it's a long time away. They're going to zero in on some big names like like we always see shoot for the moon. But there's still going to be a lot of candidates, the Fickles, the Franklins, Biennium. Uh, the enemy was was named today as well as a potential uh, you know candidate to target. So there'll be a lot of names. We won't speculate on that too much here, but uh, let the coaching drama begin. We didn't even make it to mid September and we're already talking about the coaching carousel. Uh, Kent, before we move on to some other topics here uh, here on the money, Mitch Effect, some spreads this weekend that you like because I'll tell you right now I might have to I might have to send out the bad signal to you and our and our boy Matt Gothard, former podcast co host. Because Alabama, i got to put the sign up this week. I'm liking a lot of stuff, including first half.
1: Absolutely, especially if you can get that number to 14 or buy a half a point and get it below that 14 number. I've seen it anywhere from 14 to 15 and a half. I like all of those, but certainly if you can get it at two touchdowns with not having to switch the odds very much. Seven, half, I like first the half. first half. I think the first half's probably going to be in that 8.5 mm. or 9 range. I feel very good about that. Team total... Well, you know, as of now, if you look at like the projected score based on the line, Alabama's team total is probably going to be in the high thirties. I like that to get over, and then yeah, the actual game line. I don't think this Florida team is anywhere near a top ten team, and for Alabama to not be eighteen point favorites or higher, I think there is great value this week. Now, I know Will Anderson got hurt last week against Mercer. I don't know if he'll play. Saban says he's day to day, so that'll probably B one he's either on the field Saturday or he's not they already lost their other outside linebacker in, the, in their first game so that is a little bit of a cause for concern but Florida this isn't last year's offense with Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts and Kyle Trask this year they kind of run a two quarterback system Emery Jones has been very good but then the backup quarterback Anthony Richardson he's just been a bulldozer he comes in he runs the football he's averaging I believe right around 20 yards per rush. It's been nuts how much he's actually over 25 yards per rush. Anthony Richardson on the season, 11 rushes for 275. They're going to incorporate him into the mix. He's a 240 pound quarterback that is basically playing like the Tebow slash Cam Newton role of their offense. But even with that said, I don't think Florida gets 30. I feel pretty good. Bama gets 40 plus. So if you're going to say it's 14 or 15, I think unless Florida plays a perfect game, Bama covers, and they probably cover, you know, 21-plus.
0: Yeah, that was the first one that jumped out with me. I agree with everything you said. Really love the first half. Uh, Team totals are a good way to go as well. Uh, Interesting games also out there. I always have that, like, teaser basket discussion where, you know, we'll revisit it the day before. I think Oklahoma fits that build against Nebraska. I just don't think Nebraska's good, and I think Oklahoma got the the, uh, kinks out early uh, in the first one. And uh, on that same note, I'm still a little unsure with Texas A&M. I know they're big favorites, like 29 and a half against New Mexico, but they did not look good last week against Colorado. There's no sugarcoating that.
1: And they didn't even look great against Kent State in week one. I would probably avoid just based on the fact that I don't have a ton of faith in, in New Mexico. But I know what you're saying, that A&M right now are kind of trying to figure out Haynes King out for the season, the backup quarterback, how good is he? How do we have to change our offense? My guess is A&M's probably going to be satisfied if it's 43 to 17. They'll be okay with that, which means you'll cover. But I just think that there's most likely, unless you really buy into the underdog, Mm -hmm. it's hard to just trust a team that's an underdog by that many points.
0: And I I really like, I, I didn't give them enough credit, but Iowa football might have had the best two weeks to start. Uh, but even Kent State, who's been taking down the chin this year, I just don't know that Iowa is a team that covers big spreads. You know, I feel like the way they play, they're just going to soundly beat whoever it is in front of them. And uh, three touchdowns is a little much for me.
1: Their offense has to get better, though. Iowa's kind of done it in two games, and they've done it turnover, in terms of a great having, final yeah, score. Turnover but they're having. not running the ball quite the way that they need to be. Petrus, the quarterback, has not been all that efficient. Their defense has just been lights out. I think two touchdowns in both games, their turnover margin's exceptional. Their defense could keep them in to just about any game in the country outside of maybe against an Alabama. But their offense right now has to get better. I do like this Iowa team a lot. They were my pick to win the West Division. I thought that they had a decent shot to make some noise nationally this year. But the offense has to get better, or what's going to happen is They're going to trip up against somebody they shouldn't, and it might even happen twice. Now, is that good enough to win the division? It might be, but I don't think you win the Big Ten or you're a playoff contender if your offense is this inept. So for Iowa, good on them so far. They killed Iowa State. They crushed Indiana. On paper, those scores look great, but I do think if you watch both games, which I did, and I'm sure that you did as well, the offense needs to get better if they're truly – like right now to me – they deserve to be ranked in the top five, but I don't see them staying there unless their offense gets much better.
0: Before we wrap and move on to uh, the more serious stuff, any other lines you like this week? And another Dame is about eight points from seeing now over Purdue. Cincinnati on the road against Indiana is a four-point favorite. Uh, some other games as well: Boise, Oklahoma State at night. Uh, what what stands out to you?
1: I think there's a couple tricky lines that I'm interested in. One is I like Nevada a lot this year. Like, I would have them in my top 25 right now. But the fact that they are a two-point favorite at Kansas State either ma- either makes me think that Vegas really believes in them or Vegas is trapping you to say, yeah. I hope people are <laughs> buying into them. That's more and likely. Kansas, <laughs> and Kansas State does what they do. Because yeah. K-State wins a game like this at home every year, and they're a well-coached team. So part of me is leaning towards Vegas knows and K-State wins. I hope that's not the case because I'd like to see Nevada make a push. But that line is tricky to me, and I'm just throwing it out there to let people know. The other one I like, though, and this is what's weird to me in terms of rankings and why I think a lot of the people that vote don't do a good job at it. Why is Fresno State not ranked right now? They had a very close loss to Oregon where they were beating Oregon in the fourth quarter in Eugene two weeks ago. Then they won their other game easily and they're one and one. Yeah. Like to me, if Oregon's now fourth, why is Fresno not at least 20th or 24th? Like they deserve to be ranked and they go into a UCLA matchup with nothing to lose. Because well, UCLA points, now,
0: yeah.
1: everybody has just been, you know, congratulating the Bruins for two weeks, talking about how Chip Kelly just absolutely has everything going. And this is a real contender in the PAC 12. And let's hold off Right now, DTR the quarterback he's passing barely over 50 percent the running game has been good but I don't necessarily think that they're you know truly a top 10 type of team and for Fresno State they might have already played a better team on the road in Oregon and challenged them through 60 minutes so I just like the 11 and a half with Fresno State in this game and I think that this is going to be a nail biter that goes down to the final five or three minutes and if you're going to give me 11 points, especially you mentioned your teaser, I'd feel pretty good teasing Bama down to seven and a half or 8 and teasing Fresno up to 18 I would be very surprised if UCLA beats Fresno State by three touchdowns.
0: If Fresno State can eliminate the big plays that just gashed LSU, I think they have a chance to go ahead and win this game. i uh, not going to make that poll prediction just yet, but – yeah, I'm with you. The points. What though. do you think, by the way? The Arizona State and BYU game is interesting <laughs> because it's yeah.
1: BYU's at home. They're the three-point underdog. And Arizona State hasn't played anyone yet, where BYU looked good against, in my opinion, a good Pac-12 team yeah. in Utah. And they looked okay against Arizona. I, I was saying on my podcast, The College Football Experience, that if they win this game, it's funny that they would be 3-0 and against the Pac-12 South. And they close the season with USC. So if they win this game, they would be like one Colorado game short potentially <laughs> of running the table against the Pac twelve South. But I don't know what to make of this line. I find I, it a little bit weird that Arizona is like a three yeah. and a half point favorite.
0: I mean, yeah, I'm with you. It's weird. Kind of with the K State thing. When I'm not really sure when it's weird, I just I like home dogs. I do. <laughs> so I, I think that's where I'm leaning right now. arizona it, It's not one of my confidence picks, though. I think Arizona State, having not really played anyone, we don't really know what to expect. But BYU's been through the gauntlet. They've passed so far. This is another test for them. But And
1: then one more I like, speaking of teams that will eventually join the Big 12, like <laughs> BYU, I do like 10-4. I'm not buying into Indiana, as I do think Indiana will take that step back this year where mm-hmm. they'll be a bowl team, but they'll be yeah. more like 7-5. and five. And Cincinnati, I do, I do buy into. I think that they're legit, and this is one of those two signature games they have this year out of conference against Indiana. And then they're off next week, and then at Notre Dame. Yeah, if they win this game. Things are shaping up for them really well, and I think they'll go in and be. I don't. I wouldn't guarantee it, but I feel pretty good that they will cover this line and beat Indiana on the road.
0: Well, I think it's now's a good time, you know, especially talking sports gambling, Kent. What, what a segue into a, a real somber moment. Uh, Norm MacDonald passed away today, uh, 61 years old, and uh, a legendary comedian. Did, did so much, put so much humor and content out there. Had a nine-year battle with uh, cancer that he held privately, he passed away today, it was released. Hit us by uh, surprise, you actually let me know when it happened, and... Um, I think I'll just start with this. Um, Whenever I listen, I was thinking about how I was going to say this today, but whenever I try to listen to just topics or just arguments, debates, what have you, or just try to educate yourself, I want to hear from the experts, right? Like I want to hear from the people that study the stuff that, you know, everyone claims that they're experts on or worked in that field. So when I relate that to comedy, I want to hear who the funny people think are funny. And I don't think there was a more popular answer to who comedians like than Norm MacDonald. You know, and we can talk about all of his stand-up clips, all of his interviews where he was the funniest guest on the show, where he was one of the funniest guests of all time, his movies. I remember the Norm show where he played a, a former hockey player that had to do community service, all that stuff. Movies, writing books, tweeting, gambling picks. Uh, it's a sad day for comedy and for fans like us who just loved his content and are going to miss the fact that while he'll live on forever, there's not going to be more content, more comedy to be created.
1: Yeah, he'll live on in terms of YouTube and clips and just just being a legend. But look, he was truly unique. Like with Norm MacDonald, I think the one thing that, as you said, he's a comics comic and everyone loved him. Norm MacDonald was so unique that you couldn't help but find him funny. I mean, whether Norm is being quote unquote offensive, whether Norm is just being sarcastic. There was so much about Norm that you could never tell if he's serious in the moment or if he's not. I would almost always lean towards he was almost never serious in any (laughs) regard, which is what made him so funny. He was always on. He always cared about the joke. You know, he would do those six-minute jokes on Conan just for the one punchline. And you're right. Whether it's some 25-year-old comic right now or whether it's a legendary 70-year-old comic, every one of them appreciated what Norm MacDonald did. And also, he would take the stage. You can listen to comedians talk about it. And he would intentionally... Try to run people off just to see who would leave. He would make jokes that he knew wouldn't work for that crowd, but he knew it was funny. And I think Norm ultimately, he was a fan of his comedy, and he was proud of what he did comedically. And I don't think Norm really cared if other people were or weren't. And there's so many people now that are about pleasing everybody or about making sure that they're politically correct. And Norm Macdonald was the opposite of all of that, which is why there was a respect factor from him and for him. And on top of it, as we said, sports fans, he had a sports show. He would talk sports betting. I sent you earlier his final tweets he ever had was him talking about Colin Morikawa not making the cut in a golf tournament. And, you know, I know David Spade has joked around on like Bill Simmons podcast a couple of years ago being like, yeah, I don't know. It's so weird. Norm now basically just sits at home and, tweets live golf events and that's what he did like that's what he wanted to do and he didn't really care norm's probably the type of guy that could have been one of the five most famous comics of the last 20 years and that's not the direction he wanted to go so mm-hmm. i look at norm mcdonald and i love everything he does i said to you i mean i send you clips of his constantly we joked on this podcast or when we did the podcast with our friend matt gothard there's so many dirty work references we'll throw in there's so many references from other norm shows and skits that there's almost not a day goes by especially on my youtube feed that i don't see a norm clip and watch at least one Mm -hmm. and a lot of times it leads to more than one and they're always hilarious i've seen the same ones countless times they never get old they always get funnier and he was as i said he was always on and he was always in for the joke and Norm might have not been for everybody, but I always feel I always felt like, and I'm sure that you felt this way, if you knew somebody that didn't find Norm funny, I actually kind of felt bad for that person.
0: Yeah. That
1: they didn't get that humor. And I'm glad from when I was a kid, you know, I, I rented dirty work at like the giant eagle on VHS <laughs> and watched it at my mom's house. And me and my brother and my buddy Robbie were just dying laughing yeah. the whole time. And, you know, I knew who Norm MacDonald was on the periphery, but it wasn't until I got older, I started watching the YouTube clips of Saturday Night Live and on Dennis Miller's show, being on several radio shows, doing his sports show, doing his Norm Macdonald Live, his Netflix show, all of it was great. And it's very rare that somebody who wasn't an A-lister gets that much great content out, there was also not a lot of people that didn't want to work with Norm. You know, Ask Adam Sandler, Probably who's one of the three funniest people you'll know. I'll probably say Farley. And probably the second name out of his mouth would be Norm. You talk to Bill Burr, he'll mention Norm. Burt Kreischer, Norm. You talk to so many people, as you said. Norm's going to come. (laughs) David Letterman. David Letterman. Jerry Seinfeld. Watch the comedians in cars. Jerry Seinfeld just can't wait. To hear norm tell a story and he knows the punchlines coming and he's already laughing because he knows it's going to be funny and letterman's a really good example of that because letterman was the guy that he was tough letterman would purposely almost make it known if there was somebody he didn't like on his show that you would know his final comedian he ever had perform a stand-up routine on his show was norm mcdonald and he did his netflix show he did his youtube show Letterman's not the type of guy that just does stuff like that, but he loves Norm and Howard Stern. That's another name. Howard Stern. There was never a moment or a time where Howard would not have Norm on. And then, of course, Artie Lang. I got to make the joke. I sent it to you earlier, and you said I was just about to send you the that same was. thing. It's wild that Norm died before Artie Lang, <laughs> but in a way it's kind of almost seems fitting where, like, one more thing that Norm has is like, hey, Artie, I beat you to this punch and I was able to get it done before you. So, yeah, there's just so much good about Norm MacDonald. And again, it's like the same people I meet that have never seen The Sopranos or never watched The Wire or never seen Friday Night Lights or certain movies like The Godfather or Die Hard or Rambo. It's like I feel I almost feel envious that people have that to look forward to and they've never seen any of it. Same goes for Norm. If you're listening to this and you maybe know who he is or you've seen him in one or two movies or you've watched one of his Netflix shows, just go on YouTube, go down a rabbit hole. And I'm saying there are hundreds of hours of Norm McDonald content that's available that will make you laugh.
0: Yeah, uh, I do want to say a couple of things in response to that. Uh, one being "Dirty Work." I had that movie. Me, my brother, my friends watched that all the time as a kid, which probably wasn't good for kids to watch. But uh, no, it's fact, fine. I, I have a friend that will still will still come up to me uh, on occasion and be like, "But Mitch, I don't even own the building at 99 Franklin Street." <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, no, he's one of the few Mitches in in movies too. So that really uh, that really did uh, stand out to me. I would say too that you know maybe Norm wasn't for everybody, but in a sense he, there was something about him that everybody got. Meaning, you know, I think you know what I mean here. and that his his act might not hit with everybody, but he had the kind of humor that a lot of people liked him for different reasons. They liked different parts of his humor. They liked different parts of his delivery, parts of his joke. I think he did in a weird way have that broad appeal sense. And uh, and on the flip side. You know, I think you mentioned, like, meeting someone that doesn't really like Norm or hasn't heard of him. It was, it's, I mean, it's kind of the things that made us friends. Like, in people liking Norm, it's like, oh, you like Norm. Like, you, like this guy gets it. It's like a badge of honor, in a way, to be a Norm fan. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, by all accounts, too, like, for for his act and for everything, I sent you the the clip of, uh, before we did this, the Blake Griffin Rookie of the Year press conference where he, uh, he said, well, it's kind of a cursed award. No one ever wins it twice. Right, and I thought that, you know, and that, you know, Blake tweeted out about him, like the entertainment and the sports world also, you know, he did reverberate for, for wanting to do it his own way. And like you said, being very unique, I just, uh, you know, I want to also put into, put into the side of it too, that by all accounts, a great guy, somebody that I think everybody said, you know, would be there for you and was, would reach out to people and, you know, be nice. But his humor was just something that I'll never forget. He didn't do a lot of specials. Uh, he nailed them he wrote the book which was great based on a true story where he literally you know exploited the loophole of all it has to do is basically be your have one thing to do with you and you could just make up whatever you wanted which was great legendary sports gambler uh the roast of bob saget one of the best things i've ever seen when he did the 1950s jokes and he just committed to it for 15 minutes there's just there's just so many moments we could talk about and uh yeah, I mean, I'm going to spend a lot of time watching them. I'll tell you this much, of us before we start to wind this down. There was a clip on uh, one of the comedy Sirius XM radio stations that I heard that I had heard before. It was probably about seven, eight years ago. And it was around Christmas time. And if you ever heard Norm MacDonald, his version of the 12, uh, on 12 Days of Christmas.
1: I feel like I have, but I certainly don't know it to like know it off the top of my head and repeat it by any means.
0: So he basically has, and I'll, I'll just give you the short version. But it's—he's but it, talking it,
1: about all this, all the terrible things. That
2: he
0: yeah, had. it's like he, it's his like girlfriend. Who would his want His girlfriend that? is giving his girlfriend is giving him these things for gifts each day of Christmas. And by the end, you just hear—he's like, "It smells in there. There's a bunch of animals." And he's like, "Yeah, I just—I don't. I think we're gonna have to see other people. This isn't gonna work out." <laughs> just the norm mcdonald mocking the 12 days of christmas and that's just you know one aside of things and we can we could really talk about how he was probably the greatest talk show guest ever if not you know number one close to the top
1: oh i don't yeah to me there are some other people in the mix but he his era him sure. and conan in particular that the conan clips are just legendary and the courtney thorn smith one is absolutely the best and Norm, again he was he wasn't worried about what other people did on those shows so many people come in everything's prepared everything's set up you have the screener that goes through hey so what did you do last week and then conan will just regurgitate it conan also got norm so he and and so did letterman so you just let norm go on your show T-M-I-P- you ask him the question you would ask everyone else <laughs> yeah and then you just sit back and let norm be norm
0: <laughs> yeah yeah no it's uh it's Him as a talk show guest was amazing. I would say that he was probably my favorite comedian. Now, the best title is a little, you know, hard to say. Obviously, you're going to say Carlin. I understand that. I didn't grow up with Carlin. I love his specials. Same with like guys like Eddie Murphy back in that era. In my era lifetime, it's probably him, Chappelle, Rock would be the three. And there's a lot of great ones. I don't want to feel like I'm slighting anybody. Uh, But in that generation, I mean, those are the three guys. And I'd probably put Norm as my personal favorite just because, you know, his humors and the tone and delivery would be what did it for me.
1: Yeah, I put Norm. See, to me, Norm was the funniest person alive and was the funniest overall comedian just for everything he did. Like if you just say, here's a four-minute thing, go, something tells me Norm's going to come back. With the most entertaining, most unique four minutes of entertainment that you can give. Now, as pure stand-up, I would lean towards a Carlin, a Chris Rock, a Chappelle, a Jerry Seinfeld. Just as their their sets, I think were just tighter and worked out more. And just as a 50 or one-hour set, I just as a stand-up, I found them to be the best. But Norm was in that elite category, and his two specials he did, the Comedy Central and the Netflix one, were both you know A plus. But just as in general, there's nobody that I found funnier than Norm Macdonald. There's nobody I think I ever will find funnier. You know, I'll I love showing people Norm clips. Mm-hmm. I frankly like seeing sometimes the reaction that people have that yeah. are kind of just like, holy crap! That like that actually made it onto a show.
0: I <laughs> mean, yeah.
1: I'm, I'm, I'm that's, like, even I know this yesterday. I watched a couple of Norm Macdonald clips yeah. and those other guys I mentioned. Now I watched Seinfeld a lot of years in my life and I love the show. I don't generally just watch Jerry Seinfeld clips all yeah, that Yeah, Norm,
0: Norm has staying power. Like he has that, that that's going to be his legacy is, you know, even now more so that you're going to go back yeah. and dig up the, I mean the last thing I, one of the last things he was on was that show that David Spade hosted, I think's already been canceled, but he had all the weekend update guys on and they had the old, and you mentioned the, the, Conan, chairman of the board, B O R E D spelling one, which Norm mm-hmm. just amazingly on his on his feet thinking, they put up all the photos of them in the Weekend Update chair, and David's like, "Wow, you look like young Paul Newman." What happened, Norm? What the hell happened, Norm? And Norm immediately just goes, "Well, have you seen Paul Newman lately?" <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I mean, right, his I quick wit. Yeah, it was his quick wit. And by the way, as far as SNL goes, I think it's pretty much. And by this point, retroactively, people appreciate that he's probably the number two. I mean, Chevy Chase invented the weekend update chair, so it's hard to top him. But Norm's there after him; like it's there's nobody else.
1: I yeah. I mean, granted, it's not like I I don't I would put him one
0: because yeah. I don't. I mean, know I enough understand. I
1: guess I guess if you want to say the Chevy Chase is like the. You know, the one who created it, sure. And he was the only guy
0: that said that he got it right, too. Like, what he, because he created it. He's like, Norm's the only one that did it right. And the video, the the joke that I saw reverberating today, among other things, was it was retweeted by the 90s band, Better Than Ezra. Did you see that one?
1: No, no. What was uh, was the segment?
0: It was Weekend Update. You know, it was a classic Weekend Update, and Norm delivered it to. Basically, you know his delivery there was just to mess with, to to completely, you know, he didn't chase laughs like we've talked about all that stuff, but he just goes, the music charts have been released, and number one is college band sensation, I forget how you word it, it's better than Ezra, and number two, Ezra. (laughs) Yeah, that's so (laughs) perfect. Exactly. Yeah, and the band today was like, we're just honored to be a part of such an iconic joke, and it was just Norm, you know, it was, I remember he had a joke on there where he you know is a made fun of women or something and the crowd groaned and then he's like based on a study and he's like but would you know that half the that 75 percent of the study this was created by was by women and he's like now nah, see now you don't know what the hell to say <laughs> right right
1: yeah. no no yeah. yeah that joke's great and just i mean you wanted really i think people would actually be surprised what he got away with on the, that show oj stuff you know, because- was like
0: oh i couldn't believe it like that was one of The first comedy memories I have was watching him just brutalize OJ week in, week out that ultimately cost him his job. And then, as you know, led to the greatest opening monologue in the history of SNL,
1: the greatest one. And then, of course, just to sort of bring this back to sports, Norm MacDonald's SB's joke, he's hosting the SB's and it's Charles Woodson, Charles Woodson, the first defensive player to ever win the Heisman Trophy. That is something that they could never take away from you, unless you murder your wife in a waiter. (laughs) Just the look of the reaction. Ken Griffey Jr. was just shaking his head. I'm sure 98% of the crowd were shaking their head the same way. Uh, Charles Woodson was in disbelief. And it's so funny, but when you're in that type of environment, you don't want to be the person on camera laughing about a dead woman. And a dead waiter in that moment but norm i i can almost guarantee that joke was not cleared for the air and yet he was just like yeah i'm doing it like i don't care because what are they going to do they're not going to fire him during the
0: show yeah yeah and so uh yeah yeah, he's
1: the best norm's the best and uh you know i was fortunate enough to meet him a couple times and uh you know he's just the type of guy that like you almost wish you could have just hung out with and watched sports with and and kind of just picked his brain. And because I'm sure in person, he's every bit as funny watching games or, you know, talking to you about whatever as he is on all these shows. As I said, he was a guy that always seemed to be on, always trying to make people laugh, cared about the craft of comedy to the point that I don't think he was all that interested in being a movie star or being a TV star. You know, he even would joke that like somebody once asked him, I think it was Eddie Murphy somebody brought up he should come do norm's show and norm eddie murphy asked him he's like well if you think it's funny i'll do it and norm just looked at him and said eh, it's not really that funny like you know <laughs> just turning down an a-lister to come on a show because norm deep down knew "Eh, you're, you're 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 too good for us
0: well norm McDonald, 61 years old lived a full life and uh you know his legacy of just being maybe the funniest man alive is going li- to live on and all the clips and all the stuff he did. and uh, Yeah, I'm going to definitely miss him. Uh, Kent, thanks for coming on this week's show. Uh, the best person to talk about, Norm MacDonald. Uh, the worst person, you guessed it, Frank Stallone. That's great. I, 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 I figured, I I figured that you it. would
1: remember <laughs> the Frank Stallone, but if you didn't, I was just going to be like, hey, and who do you have on the show next week? And if you just went, I don't know yet, I'd have been like, but you guessed it. Thanks to that. That's <laughs> awesome, man. Yeah, I know. I definitely appreciate you having me
0: on. Yeah. Thanks. So, thanks a lot, Kent. We'll uh, we'll follow your college football picks. Thanks for coming on, talking some football, talking some life and times of the late great Norm McDonald. Appreciate you coming on the Money Mitch Effect.
1: Absolutely, buddy. Take
0: care. All right, huge thanks again to Kent Brown. I know that was a little different, but we had to pay our respects to the late great Norm McDonald. I'll keep saying it. One of the funniest of the funniest people ever to exist on this planet. Gone too soon, but his legacy will live on. Just do yourself a favor. Watch clips of his and, uh, you know, it'll make you laugh and uh, reminisce for sure. But rest in peace to Normie. All right, now it's time to talk to Chris Miller. Switch gears a little bit. Talk about the NFL opening slate of games. The Ravens lose to his Raiders in a thrilling Monday night game. The Browns Chiefs was a wild one as well. A lot of different games to break down. And look ahead to week two. It's Chris Miller talking NFL football now on the Money Mitch Effect. All right, now on the line on the Money Mitch Effect. Friend of the show, years in progress. We've been doing this NFL week one recap with Chris Miller. Join me on the line, Chris. Thank you for uh, joining the show. And uh, I'll be honest. I'll be honest. I was worried about last night's outcome if you were going to be able to make it today, but Raiders won and you're here.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, pleasure's as always uh, joining you, Mitch. And uh, yeah, that could have gone either way. And uh, there's a good chance I wouldn't have been here regardless of how that OT ended up. <laughs> but I'm here. I'm awake. The adrenaline is starting to somewhat wear off and I'm good to go.
0: Well, that game last night, Raiders Ravens, the uh, first game in that new stadium, the Raiders welcoming in the fans, it was a, it was a glorious, glorious uh, environment. Uh, it was mm-hmm. it was something, and uh, I, I think in a lot of ways, we were talking about. It, I think we agree that it was the most exciting game of the weekend, of the weekend for sure. Uh, but I would say that it was also kind of like a microcosm of what you love and what you don't love to see, Chris, with the Raiders. There were some great plays, some just star-studded huge plays on both sides of the ball, big throws by Carr, running game was going a little bit. The defense came up big with some turnovers. There were also some head-scratching plays and some uh, play calls and some porous blocking and whatnot. I I know that had to be an emotional roller coaster, but at the end of the day, you you got the job done when it seemed like there was times when the game was being given away by the Raiders, too.
2: Oh yeah, I mean, and you hit the nail on the head. It was definitely uh, a little bit of everything. The offense definitely up and, you know, till the Ravens were up 14 nothing and even after it, it's just like what are they doing? It felt like to me like you ever play a game of Madden with a friend and that friend has like one person that they want to throw the ball to every single play. And that's what it felt like. It was just like, okay, who are they throwing to? The, oh, Darren Waller again? Yeah, of course. You know, I mean, they have other guys in the field, but let's just keep throwing the ball at Darren Waller, whether he's double-covered, triple-covered, you know, even running a route <laughs> that, oh. that play. Um, and they definitely look rusty. I mean, they looked like an offense that hadn't played a single preseason snap, and that was kind of to be expected. But to me, the, the big surprise really was the defense, you know. Except for that fourth and one where Tyson Williams broke loose and scored a touchdown, they looked really solid. And, you know, I mean, Lamar Jackson still did Lamar Jackson things. Uh, and, and no defense is going to stop those moments. But they came up big when they needed to. And uh, they were getting a lot of pressure with just four guys, which is a rare thing to see with the Raiders. Uh, yeah. So it was definitely something to be excited about with this team
0: yeah i mean there's a lot of different ways you can spin it one being that the raider defense did do a great job all things considered you're playing a juggernaut and one of the most dynamic players in football and they did a pretty good job in in containing him and giving their, their offense a chance to win it i was just watching that game also thinking like you mentioned just force feeding waller there were i didn't realize the stat that they were the worst team in football on third and one last year i mean you probably did watching all their games but it did seem yeah. like once the handcuffs came off or, or in, the, in the end of the fourth quarter they had to come off, that's when the Raider offense actually looked their best when it wasn't just scripted, boring plays when they had no choice but to get aggressive and make things happen. The Zay Jones touchdown at the end, too. I mean, the, the way that game ended with the Ravens defense just looking around, it looked like a, just like a drill in practice was hilarious, too.
2: Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned that they were they were the worst team last year on third and one. They were the best team last year on third and long. Makes no sense. So <laughs> that makes no how, do you, sense. how do you explain that one? Uh, <laughs> now, yeah. to be fair, they they were in third and long a lot last year, mm-hmm. so uh, it would only make sense that they had a lot of practice doing it. But yeah, that that Zay Jones touched out at the end. I mean, especially coming off of the Nasib. Uh, sack fumble well
0: yeah and coming um, off the fact that you thought you had the up, game one, and it was first and goal at the one I mean whether or not it's an actual touchdown yeah. it was first and goal at the one Carr throws a pick and Carr did some good things last night but there were moments yeah. when you're like oh okay and that's probably going to be the, the Derek Carr experience this year
2: yeah but I mean you can't put that pick completely on him I mean he did he throw the ball a little harder than he should have yes but it did, you know, ricochet off of Willie Snead. So, I mean, it, it was one of those things. And I think if the Raiders had a 100% healthy Josh Jacobs that game, I think it's a different outcome on that first possession. Uh, I don't think Carr's the one trying to dive it in from the, no. the one-yard line. I think they hand it to Jacobs and just let him power in. But clearly between being sick and, you know, the turf toe, I mean, he just wasn't, completely himself he had moments but you could tell he was struggling
0: yeah and the um, center as well that was the yeah. other position your your center i forget his name did not have a great game was kind of getting eaten alive by clays campbell there um but, yeah, but well
2: yeah. and leatherwood was getting was having some issues you know first big nfl game you know he's a rookie and the funny thing is like the raiders had something like 10 penalties i think last night maybe 11 and I think only one of them was on the defense, which is surprising. Yeah. I mean, they had they had nine to ten offensive penalties at home. I mean, it's just well, no one of them was a ridiculous pe- offensive pass interference call that was that wasn't a penalty. But I mean, there was a bunch yeah. of false starts, a couple of holdings. I mean, there's no excuse for a false start when you're the home team. You know, granted that crowd was was pretty pretty noisy, but still, um, yeah. yeah, it was. It's, Definitely well, rusty on the offense, but, you know, I, I think they'll, they'll pick it up. I mean, this this next week against Pittsburgh will be a, a very good test of what they can do against a good defense.
0: Will the Raiders survive? They get the win. Uh, and I, I mentioned this before, you know, I was really rooting for the Raiders last night. I'm going to even root for them as hard as humanly possible next week <laughs> with the Steelers on the schedule. So, uh, but they had to keep up with the fact that every, how about this, every West team won both both conferences, yeah. 8-0 week one that's so right i know i think we were kind of expecting it more in the nfc west though to be honest than the afc the nfc west recognized as the best division in football and uh, the afc west though no slouch even when you get down be- below the chiefs as well
2: oh yeah i mean you know it was a, a good good day to be uh West, well, I won't say West Coast because the Chiefs are Missouri, but, you know, a Western, the Broncos country, you know, are in the Broncos division. Are in
0: Colorado and I get it. Yeah, close enough. No, yeah, you're right there. I just think that, I mean, we're going to go to my game next, but just the fact that the Raiders win this game, they keep up with the arms race. I know there's an extra game and there's an extra playoff team, but that division yeah. is a scary one with. Herbert coming on with the Broncos having some more pieces and some more health on the defensive side, you know, the Raiders yeah. aren't going to have the luxury that some of the poor divisions are. I don't think, where they can just kind of take some time to, to find their groove. So this was an important first step if they want to be a playoff team.
2: Oh yeah. This is definitely no NFC East. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> or but NFC North. Interesting, or yeah. Interesting stat that I read though, real quick about this game yeah. Uh, this is the first time in like 99 straight games that the Ravens have lost when they were up 14 points. Wow! How about that? Mm, crazy. That's interesting. Ravens,
0: yeah. Ravens undefeated preseason team like five years in a row, but just you know can't win week one. <laughs> well, Chris, yeah. Chris, the Browns and Chiefs are going to go there for a second, and I'm going to actually, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to get more positive than I thought I would be for a team that's lost 17 straight week ones in the Cleveland Browns. But wow. they, they yeah, it's crazy, I know. But they were in, in this game. Uh, they outplayed the Chiefs for most of it. And there were mistakes for sure. Uh, Nick yeah. Chubb's fumble, uh, the punter who yep. I'm not even gonna say his name, this the Scottish hammer for just dropping the ball and then not having the presence of mind to kick it. And obviously Baker Mayfield <laughs> with the interception late. But Baker played great outside from that one crucial catastrophic mistake. The offense, the ground game yep. was was going well, and the defense did a good job for for some of it. They got beat. The key play of the game was Mahomes doing something that I think only he could do in the league right now, just chucking the ball 70 yards downfield, the fastest receiver in the league, Tyreek Hill. Kelsey showed up. The Chiefs yeah. win by four points at home. It's a one-score game with the two-time running defending AFC champions. So I'm not that upset. I think that you have to improve on those mistakes if you want to be the best, but they're playing the standard, a lot of people would say, for professional football, and they were right in it. So as a Browns fan, I'm not too worried or upset You'd like to win every game, but you know that you're going to lose some of them.
2: Oh, definitely. You know, and uh, I, I have to say them the Browns definitely hung tight with a very good Chiefs team. Definitely a game they could have won. They led the entire game until the final touchdown that the Chiefs scored. So, I mean, they were they were definitely, uh, you know, making their presence known. And I think, you know, they showed why a lot of people are, are really high on this team this year. You know, and so are the Chiefs. The Chiefs showed that they're a team that, yeah, you have the one mistake, but that's all it takes with the Chiefs, right? You have to play mm-hmm. a near-perfect game <laughs> to beat this team. Well, and you know? then there's no and, freak
0: out with them. Like, when they get down, what is it, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, down by 10, even as a Browns fan watching the game, you're just like, mm, it's not – it doesn't mean anything yet. Like, up by 10, fourth quarter, I'm still like, well, hold on. You know, the first half was like a perfect first half for the Browns, and they're up 10, yeah. they're up 12, but the Chiefs are getting the ball, and, of course, I'm expecting them, and they did score. I, I, heard, yeah. I heard Jim Nance on the broadcast say, you're talking about crazy stats. The Chiefs have had a lead in elite, in 60 straight games. Wow. <laughs> like, like they, they haven't won them all, obviously, but they've had at least a lead. They've never lost wire to wire in 60 games, regular season playoffs, which is just insane.
2: Wow. That's an interesting stat for sure. Yeah. And back to your point where, you know, that there's no freak out with the Chiefs. I mean, when you have Patrick Mahomes, when you have Tyreek Hill, Two guys that can put a touchdown on the board you know in like 10 seconds <laughs> there's really no need to freak out yeah, yeah it doesn't matter to them what the score is and how much time is on the clock because they know when they want to turn those afterburners on and score super quick they can and they and they do and i mean they're scary good yeah. and um, i'm looking forward to seeing what the Raiders can do with them two times this year and And I'm looking forward to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about the Browns. You know, I know, I know I say that to you like almost every year, but I think they've got a lot of really good pieces in place. And, um, if they can get past, they got a tougher, you know, pretty tough with Pittsburgh and, and Baltimore, but, you know, I think they have a very good chance of winning their division. Uh, you know, we'll see. I mean, Pittsburgh obviously is, you know, looking pretty good, but, Mm-hmm. Um, Baltimore is going to improve after week one. We'll see. They had a lot of energy injuries, but I think the Browns are going to be in the mix, you know, for sure. Yeah. You know, well, they're going to, they're going to win some big games.
0: They just got to make sure their players don't punch any assistant coaches. And I think we'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think, uh, I think that's good. You mentioned, you know, I want to, I want to group two teams together, uh, once we get behind our games. For the most impressive mm-hmm. wins, I know it's week one, you know, and there's a lot to be said about, you know, where you're going to go from here. But two teams you you really got to tip your hat to for the impressive wins. Unfortunately, one is the Steelers beating the Bills in Buffalo, yeah. winning a big game. Yeah. A lot of people didn't pencil them in. The other team, Chris, mm-hmm. when I'm curious to hear your opinion on this, but I'd go Arizona Cardinals because they went to Tennessee and just thumped the division champs I from mean. the South last year. So those are the two teams that just impressed me by different means, obviously. But that yeah. was week one, you know. Take a bow for those two.
2: Oh, one hundred percent, and and both of them, their defenses showed up like like none other. Chandler
0: Jones, by the uh, way, five. Chandler sets. Jones. Like, I don't. I don't. <laughs> at a certain point, right, you yep. just got to start holding and, and tackling them. Like you got to take penalties. Yeah. Like if you're getting abused like that as a lineman, <laughs> I would think. But you're right about that. Yeah. You're right about the fact that the Cardinal defense really stood up, played well, stifled Derrick Henry on short yardage, bottled up Tannehill. You know, in the new yeah. Julio Jones edition, and then you have Kyler Murray, who's you know before he got injured last year, he was a top ten, top five, maybe quarterback in the league. Like the stats bear that out. If he's healthy yeah. and can play a full seventeen game season, this sure looks like a playoff team to me.
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, like you said, the the NFC West is probably one of the, if not the most stacked. Divisions in football this year with with the Niners and the Seahawks as well. So we'll see. Yeah, the Rams. Yeah, it's true. I, I, I don't know about the Rams yet. You know, I, yeah. I, I think the Rams played very well against Chicago, but that Chicago secondary and we can talk about that later is pretty suspect. But still, when you think about it, yeah, the Rams, as good as they are, are the maybe the fourth best team in their division right now? I mean, that's that's pretty uh, scary. I mean, I um, would say,
0: I, I would just, just to kind of go off on that for a second, you know, a lot of people say with seven playoff teams, especially the three teams are coming out of this division, and I would agree with that. Uh, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know who, if you're going to say Rams miss, my, my bold prediction before, and I'm probably going to eat my words, though, is I think this is the year that Seattle finally doesn't make it
2: really because
0: I love Russ I do but and there's been a lot and and they look they look good in that Colts game week one which again the Colts the Carson Wentz thing and a lot going on there with that team but I just I don't know and and he almost he's not at Aaron Rodgers' level of wanting out but last year the rumblings that was the first time he ever did that I don't know I'm just you know Niners are good Cardinals are good Rams I think will be pretty good too um, but we'll see. That's what makes this season fun. Um, there's, that division's exciting, but I did want to get back. You mentioned the, the Steeler defense as well. We just forgot how good they were because they had so many injuries last year. You know, They had so many guys mm-hmm. go down at the end of that season. And for them to do what they did, bottle up the Bills, everyone's talking about Josh Allen and Dable calling plays. The Bills scored 16 points at home. I mean, that, that's a great job coaching by Mike Tomlin, yep. getting his boys up, and the offense did just enough. Yep. I mean, they did just enough to win a, a gritty road game.
2: Yeah. Yeah, they did. I mean, and not an easy place to play and they, they, they did it and they look good. I mean, we'll see. I'm not, I'm not fully sold on Pittsburgh. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sold on Pittsburgh's defense. Pittsburgh's mm-hmm. offense. We'll see. You know, that's still, yeah. you know, leaves a lot to be desired, but certainly many teams have proven year in and year out, you know, you don't have to score a lot of points if your defense doesn't give up a lot of points and, Pittsburgh's deal definitely looking a lot more like Steel Curtain than they have in the past. So uh, They stay healthy. That's yeah. definitely going to be a team to be afraid of,
0: for Pittsburgh, sure. Pittsburgh plays to the level, of the level of their competition a lot, too, which can be a fault when you're playing some poor teams, but they get up for big games, and they're, uh, yeah. they're definitely a threat. Uh, Chris Miller here on the Money Mitch Effect. Uh, I do want to mention that Rams-Bears game, and I know people will say, much like yourself, that the Rams— played the Bears. And, and I get it. We can't be too excited they beat a Chicago team that for some reason <laughs> wants to keep playing Andy Dalton. Okay, cool. Uh, but yeah. but the the story this year is the Rams with Stafford, who, who has been in, in purgatory in Detroit for so long. He's got McVay. He's got a new offense. Chris, I, I think we have to also keep reminding ourselves just how elite this Rams defense is. Because they spent right. a lot of money on Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, and I think that's going to be the key to Winning a lot of these games, they're going to need Stafford to show out if they have like real playoff aspirations. But this is first and foremost a yeah. defensive team.
2: Oh yeah, and the the Rams secondary looked mm. really good, especially Jalen Ramsey. I mean, geez, he 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 looked like he you know, I'm not <laughs> that Jalen Ramsey's old, but he looked he looked uh like a very young Jalen Ramsey. Yeah, and he he was flying out of the field. And one of the things we were talking about in the game that I thought was really interesting is he gets bored, right? Playing. So what the defense, the defensive coordinator, anything with the Rams that they've been doing now is moving him around a lot more so that he's always has to rethink what his job is on each parts of the field. And he really likes that because it keeps him mentally engaged in the game and he doesn't mentally fall asleep during plays anymore because he's constantly having to rethink what his job is every time he's shifted around and, uh, he definitely looked like a guy who was mostly invested in that game. He, he looked great. Aaron Donald, of course, is, you know, <laughs> Aaron Donald. Say <laughs> he, I mean, that's he's, thing. He's, he's just scary. I think that should be, I don't know if he has an official nickname. Uh, if I had to give him one, I would just say scary. I would um, just say game plan,
0: <laughs> plan record, Aaron Donald. Because you literally yeah, have to exactly. change everything you're doing just to try to slow that guy down. Uh, oh, no, yeah, that was, uh, I mean, another like the Raiders first game with fans in that stadium and you knew they were going to come mm-hmm. out buzzing and, uh, they did, uh, some other games I want to talk about. I, I don't, I mean, saints Packers, it's hard to explain what happened in that game. <laughs> there, there's a lot going uh, on. Yeah. Green Bay. I don't even, Green, I mean, first <laughs> of all, we should have known it was going to be <laughs> weird because it was a saints Packers game in Jacksonville. That should have been our first clue. But the, yeah, fact that, exactly. the fact that you know, the Packers and Rodgers and LaFleur, they all just laid a complete egg out there. They weren't ready. They were outplayed at all facets. But you also had this like oddly responsible Jameis Winston. Five touchdowns, mm-hmm. less than 150 yards, no interceptions. That last stat, the yeah. most surprising by far. The Saints reminding everybody that they're <laughs> still a very good team. <laughs> the Saints reminding everybody that they're still a very good team. And Green Bay reminding us that, yeah, this is going to be a tumultuous season. And some wounds aren't healed, I would think.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, for sure. And the, the Saints also reminding you that they're a very good defensive team, too. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. I think that the Saints are one of those teams where people keep sleeping on this defense. And I don't know why. But, I mean, anytime you hold the Packers, you know, regardless of where you're playing the game, whether it's, you know, at the, your home stadium, the Superdome in, in New Orleans, or if you're playing in Jacksonville, you still held, you know, Aaron Rodgers and the Packers to three points. That's that's a pretty darn good – and 133 yards passing, mm. you know, that's like a quarter for Aaron Rodgers some games. Uh, you know, 103 yeah. yards, 133 yards passing, two picks, really impressive showing by the defense for sure on that one.
0: Yeah, that was weird. I mean, it was just weird to see Green Bay lifeless uh, down the stretch, um, but no props to them and props to the Saints. And I, And I know Green Bay's got the issues there, but – yeah. Who else could win that division is my counter. I mean, the Lions have had the worst defense in football last year, and it looks like it's even worse this year. The Bears, yeah. you know, and it's not going to happen this year. And the Vikings lost to the Bengals week one. You know, and I, and I love seeing, seeing that game went to OT. I love seeing Burrow play well, even though it's a division, obviously. But Burrow and Chase, that connection looked great already. The Bengals mm-hmm. aren't a great team, though. So if it's not going to be the Packers, I just, I mean, I can't see anybody else winning it.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Can we just throw a coin up and just uh, or are going to throw a dart and see who we hit on that one? The Lions yeah, fought I mean, though. It,
0: hey, the Lions fought. I mean that Niners game with the onside kicks and fumbles. I don't know how it got that close late. Yeah. <laughs> they did.
2: Yeah, I mean look the yeah the, the I I expected more out of Minnesota for sure mm-hmm. than a, than an overtime loss to the Bengals. I mean, I even went and started their defense (laughs) (laughs) on my fantasy team, you know. Well, my other choice was going to be the Colts' defense. I was like, I'm not mm, starting anybody against against Seattle right now.
0: Yeah. Hey, speaking of defenses, though, um, another good one that doesn't get enough credit, uh, what they've done the last couple years, is the Miami Dolphins, what Flores has done because they win that game over the Patriots, the two Alabama quarterbacks. Tua was just average at best. Mac Jones was a yeah. little better, but this was a defensive matchup, and they get the fumble late. You know, the Dolphins. The Do- I mean, everyone was penciling in Chris, and I, t- I did my playoff picks last week, and I actually had the Dolphins edge out the Patriots for that final wild card spot. You know, I, and Ooh. I think everyone's hyping up the Patriots for reasons that are under, understandably deserved, but the Dolphins are, were right there last year too, and I think they've gotten they've yeah. got the pieces to make this run. This was a big win again on the road that was defense driven.
2: So is that to say then you've got you've got Buffalo winning the division and then do. uh, Dolphins coming in at the wild card? I do. Yeah, I can see that. I, I mean, can see that. I mean, the hype was I a little mean,
0: much for me. That's all it was. Was that I think that the Patriots, I still think they're they're putting the pieces together and Mac Jones. I would just like the hype to cool off just a little bit. Not every rookie comes in and and tears it up, you know.
2: Yeah, well, that's true. You know, case in point, I mean. Trevor Lawrence had a great game, but lost
0: to Houston. Well, he's gonna, yeah, he's uh, that roster. He's gonna have a year <laughs> like like Peyton did as a rookie, where there's a lot of yards and a lot of picks because they're just chucking it from behind. From behind. So, um, yeah, exactly. But hey, the other guy, the other guy that had a great game this week, I know it was against the Falcons, but Jalen Hurts uh, taking the Eagles and Devontae Smith coming out and playing well right away. I mean, that was a team that was terrible last year, and we'll see if it holds up. But yeah, the Eagles getting that win, was yeah. one.
2: Oh yeah, I mean it, it's against a pretty terrible team, but the Jalen Hurts, the few games that he played last year, I mean his his fantasy points and stats were darn near close to Lamar Jackson. So he's proven that he can uh, definitely put up numbers. So we'll see if the rest of the team around him can 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 support him. But yeah, he did what he needed to do against a bad team. And, uh, you know, a win's a win in the NFL. It doesn't matter if it's a good team or a bad team. And uh, he, I mean, he had a good game. I mean, 264 mm-hmm. yards, three TDs, no picks. You know, <laughs> pretty darn good. You know, yeah. Matt Ryan on the other side,
0: 164. Mm-hmm. So Sometimes that's all you have to boy. do is just play well against bad teams. It doesn't have to be too flashy. Uh, Chris Miller, let's look, right. to, let's look ahead to week two here on the Money Mitch Effect. You mentioned some big games, uh, not going to include – Thursday night's Giants and Washington game. <laughs> We're just going to.
2: We're not including that? For Why? the big game. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, they can't all be hits. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, just looking uh, at the yeah. slate, you mentioned Vegas and uh, your Vegas Raiders in Pittsburgh. That's an interesting one right at yeah. 1 o'clock Eastern. Pittsburgh, five and a half point favorites at home in that one. Uh, Buffalo, yeah. Miami is another big one because the Bills, after that loss, go to 1 0 Miami at home and the Bills are three and a half point favorites on the road. So that's going to be a one that suddenly the Bills have to win and not go down to 0-2, and, and, and then mm-hmm. a, and then a, you know the, the early slate being a little on the weaker side does include Cleveland and Houston. Must win for the Browns already, 12.5 points against Houston. At home. <laughs> Come on. You're not losing this game. Not even uh, they can do this to me. <laughs> uh,
2: no, I, I definitely see the Browns. I mean, they're at home. I don't think the Texans keep doing what they're doing. They're not playing against a rookie quarterback this time. They're playing against a much better defense. Uh, and a much better run game. I, I definitely see the Browns coming out on top of this one for sure. And I think I think this game is going to look more like the Texans we expected to see week one uh, against a much better Browns team.
0: Yeah, I, w- I would only hope so on that last one. Uh, the 4 o'clock games, <laughs> the uh, Dallas and the Chargers could be fun. I think that could be a fun one, Chargers home opener out here. They yeah. look like they're pretty good. Herbert looked like he was pretty good and composed down there. Uh, and mm-hmm. then you have Tampa hosting Atlanta. They're probably going to put it on them. And uh, Seattle. Yeah. Seattle hosting Tennessee. Tennessee is another team that, well, all this optimism, and now it looks like they could very well be Owen to having to go up to Seattle to take on the uh, Seahawks.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, look, I, if their defense shows up, who knows? I mean, what they need is more out of Derrick Henry. I mean, he just got quieted. Yeah, but if you're which, down seventeen early, friend. if you're down seventeen <laughs> early, it's hard that's to just find
0: him there. But no, I, I agree. That's true. He's gotta be better. Uh and Sunday nights, Kansas City, Baltimore. So, uh, that's another one where Baltimore's at home, they're home underdogs. They can't don't really want to fall Owen two. The Chiefs are just playing yeah. with so much confidence. I'd, I I mm-hmm. would expect a lot of points in this one.
2: Yeah, this is gonna be a, that's gonna be a <laughs> An arms race. Um, two of the most fun quarterbacks to watch in the NFL right now, for sure. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to this game, despite the fact that it is Chiefs Ravens. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the, I, I can tell us about the teams themselves, but the the actual game will be will be a fun one.
0: My funny um, my funny one last week was uh, in my uh, Survivor pool where you get one team and then you can't use in the rest <laughs> of the year. I went Niners, thought I was pretty comfortable, then started freaking out at the end of the game. <laughs> so <but laughs> God, they survived, yeah, I and I and luckily they're off my list this year. Uh but the way it looks yeah. now, I mean it, it could be do you waste Tampa Bay versus the Falcons or do you save them for later? I think I, I honestly do think, Chris, the smart pick might be the Browns this week.
2: I think the smart pick, the Browns, Browns I, I would Houston, agree with that. Don't
0: don't have to worry about, you know, having to pick them later when, you know, Tampa's definitely a more trusted team down the stretch. They won the Super Bowl last year. And uh, I think Browns Houston at home is the play. But I've been let yeah, down before. If, if-
2: if it wasn't for last or the you know week one, I would say pick the Packers to beat the Lions. That's but a good I, one too. I don't know about that now. You know that's a really, <laughs> I don't know about that one anymore.
0: It, it's a good one. It's the Monday night game, so you wonder about weirdness there. That that's a, that's a good third one as well. Because um, if the Packers cannot lose that game to the Lions, you know the, you think about it like desperation like that. But it, I mean, yeah, Detroit is not good. It's Jared Goff and a really bad defense. So get excited, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we'll see. I know it's
2: crazy to think that there's already it's week two and there's already mm-hmm. must win games, you know, um, you know that's, a good that's the, point though. the NFL. That's a good know?
0: point, though. 17 game season. Maybe we need to kind of pump the brakes on that a little bit. Maybe, maybe not. You know that there is that extra game to play with on the flip side. You might run out of, uh, you know, the margin for error because teams that you're chasing get more wins. But our, our pacing is yeah. off is what I'm saying. We're not really used to this. So we're going to have to figure out what must win games are now. <laughs>
2: I mean, for me, I feel like every game in the NFL is a must-win because you only get now this year 17 games as opposed to something like, you know, baseball or basketball where you have, you know, 80-plus, 160-plus. So every game in some, in some fashion is a must-win, especially early in the season. Like, you don't want to go out, you know, start 0-2, you know. Just you start questioning yourself. You start doubting your team a little bit. You start, you know falling apart a little bit and uh, once that doubt creeps in it's hard to recover so I would definitely say for some of these 0-1 teams especially the Packers like this is a, a big game like they need to show that they you know look they got walloped week one that they can recover and come back and be the team that everyone thinks they can be this year
0: it's going to be an exciting ride. I'm glad we're on it. We'll, we'll be chatting throughout the season. Chris Miller, thanks for coming on the Money Mitch Effect. And uh, next time you're on, we're going to have to pick that, you know, our annual team you, you think has no chance and make a bet on there somehow.
2: Oh, boy. Yeah, it's still oh too way. early for still that. Right. Got
0: to wait a couple of weeks, you know, let the let the dust yeah. settle a little bit, and then we can really get creative. Uh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Chris, thanks for coming on the show. Look forward to talking football with you throughout the year
2: of course man always a pleasure and uh i think we might have to put the packers somewhere in one of those bets because cheese lends itself to
0: a lot of interesting uh scenarios Ooh, that would be fun yes lots of different types of cheese ge- <laughs> lots of different types of cheeses that was chris miller here <laughs> on the money mitch effect
2: my pleasure thanks
0: That's it for this week's show. Thanks again to Chris Miller and Kent Brown. A reminder, you can catch every episode of the Money Mitch Effect on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. We're streaming on all your podcast platforms. Leave a rating, review, subscribe there. and Check out the Money Mitch Effect Facebook page for some video content as well as every episode posted. And follow me on Twitter at Money Mitch M21. Next week, it's the heart of football season. We've got more gambling talk to do. Both the pro and college games. Shout out to Emma Radakanyu and Daniel Medvedev for winning the U.S. Opens. My name is Mitch Michaels. This was the Money Mitch Effect. Until next time, keep enjoying sports. RIP Norm Macdonald. Mission. will miss you.